in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. All right, what do you think, guys? Should we get started? Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. He is risen indeed. (laughs) Nat just told me how to say that in Polish, so... um, We'll quiz you guys at the end of the at the end of the service. No, I'm just kidding. I, I already forgot. Um, but yeah, I just uh, want to welcome you guys. Thank you so much for for joining us for this Easter service. I, I love uh, when we do morning services. I don't necessarily love when we do digital services as opposed to uh, in person. But um, I, this is kind of like a small preview, I think, of when we can move to a morning more full time. So that's good news. You guys still hearing me? All right? Are we we're good on that? Yeah. Maybe not. Some, all right. Cool. Seeing some th- thumbs up. Um, let me pray to open us and then, uh, we'll, we'll have, uh, readings and songs and then a, a short sermon. This will be a shorter service. And then if you're up for it afterward, we could hang out. There's this breakout room feature that we haven't tried before. And I really don't know how that would work, but, uh, we can, I think it'll just randomize us and send us into different breakout rooms. We could hang out, could even grab a little lunch and just hang out for a bit if you're able to. Um, all right, let me pray to open us and then Nat will read our first reading. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for, uh, for Friday, Lord, for the, the sadness, the goodness of Friday, for dying for us on the cross. And we thank you for uh, showing us that you are victorious over death, uh, that you are the God of the universe who created us and that you can go before us in death and defeat it uh, and bring us with you uh, forever. Uh, we thank you for Easter Sunday, Lord, that you did rise from the dead, that you are victorious over sin, disease, and death. And we pray now that you'd help us to celebrate and to worship Uh, and to love you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'll have Nat come up to our same mic here. All right, John 1 through 10. John 20, 1 through 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, and as well as the cloth had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. All right, we have a, Matt's going to lead us in a song now, and I'm going to try this out. We're going to be sharing the lyrics, so we'll see how this works. So everyone, feel free to mute yourself if you intend to sing along. I'll do the same, and then we'll share the screen. All right, that should be great. Thank you, Jordan. We'll do Before the Throne. All right. Thanks, Matt. Um, there were some participants joining, so I just someone just let me know that my, you can see my pointer moving around while I'm screencasting, and I'm trying to let people in, so I don't know what else you can see, but that's what we're doing here. Um, let's see here. Uh, Josiah has the next reading for us. 
John 20, verses 11 to 23. But Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. As she wept, she bent down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Mary replied, They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have put him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Because she thought he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you, had carried, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus replied, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and informed the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what Jesus had said to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. Great. All right. Let's do Because He Lives. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. All right. I'm going to do the last reading now, and then I'll lead us into a short sermon. Let me just let someone in the waiting room. Okay. All right. This is from continuing on in John 20, starting at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I wanted to open up this Easter message by talking about Judas. <laughs> what, a, what an appropriate way to start the Easter message, right? Um, but the joke is that it's not, it's not the Judas you're thinking, right? When we think Judas, we think Iscariot. But Judas was a very common name, and there are a number of Judases. So I want to tell you about another Judas. 
1498, there was a famous Portuguese discoverer. In most of the world, he's probably more famous than Christopher Columbus. His name, I don't even know how we say it in English, but we used to live in Port Portugal, and they call him Vasco da Gama. I don't know if we say Vasco da Gama. I don't know what we say in English. Does that, does that ring a bell? I don't know. You guys know that guy? One of the most famous explorers in, in all of world history, and he sailed to the southwestern coast of India, and along with trading, finding a faster route to the spices of India and whatnot, um, there were, they had a lot of reasons for going there. But one of the reasons is that they wanted to also bring missionaries, and, and the Catholic Church wanted to expand their, their reach and spread the gospel and bring the Bible, bring the message of the gospel to people who didn't know it. So you can imagine their surprise when they got to India, and they found that there were already hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Christians on the west coast of India. You know, they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they had crosses, they believed in Jesus who died for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day, but they weren't Catholic. And to a Portuguese person at that time, if you weren't Catholic, I mean, there's a few like Eastern Orthodox people and they would sort of give you that much. But if you weren't Catholic, like you weren't Christian, like there was no place for, they didn't even understand how you could possibly believe in the truth if you weren't connected to Rome. So they, they thought at first, well, this must be some sort of cult Christianity, and they said, no, no, their, their belief goes all the way back to the beginning. And the Portuguese explorers were like, well, beginning of what? And the Indians were like, what do you mean beginning of what? The beginning of Christianity. And the Portuguese are like, well, but the Pope didn't even know that you had believers here. I mean, they never sent missionaries, you know, They're just very like Rome-centric. Um, and the Indians were like, well, we don't need your missionaries or your Pope. We learned of Jesus from one of his apostles. And the Portuguese were like, no way, no way that the apostles made it here to India. Uh, and they told of an apostle named Judas. Again, not the Judas that is the traitor who we think of often, uh, not the, the reason that no one names their kids Judas anymore. Um, but again, it was a common name. And this Judas was called Judas the twin. And he traveled there to India. This is their story. He traveled there to India and planted seven churches along the west coast of India. He raised up local leaders, as was the early church custom. And still we, we do this today in, in Protestant circles. And the church in India had been self-propagating ever since and growing ever since. So these Portuguese explorers were thinking, well, maybe there was some faithful early church you know, missionary had made it there. But, you know, how many years ago was that? Like 800 years ago, 900 years ago? Um, you know, it surely couldn't be in the beginning because this is India after all. And, you know, we're, we come from Rome, right? Like that's, that's where the beginning is. Surely there was no one here in the beginning. So they're thinking maybe six or 700 years after Christ, Maybe that's when the Indians heard the good news from someone named Judas the twin. But if you dig farther, you see the same thing happened to missionaries in 180 AD. So we're talking just six, seven generations after Christ. Um, there were missionaries that came from the Egyptian city of Alexandria. So before Islam sort of uh, took over the Middle East, the whole uh, most of the Middle East and Northern Africa were like those, it was like the hotbed of where Christianity was in the leading cities were there. And so there were missionaries from Alexandria in northern Egypt, <clears throat> and they traveled to India along the Great Spice routes to bring the gospel to, 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 to India uh, in 180 AD. <clears throat> excuse me. And they, when they got there, they found Christians there even then. And they had a, a few books of scripture, but the Alexandrians couldn't read them because they said that the, the books were in Hebrew letters. And they kind of put that in quotation marks. <clears throat> what that means is that this scripture was in Syriac or Aramaic, which is sort of, these are the this is the language that Jesus spoke among his apostles. 
which you think is, that's interesting. So they had, they had written accounts in Jesus's mother tongue, the language that he actually spoke with his apostles, whereas everyone else was reading it in a translation in Greek. <clears throat> Sorry, my <clears throat> lungs are giving me a little trouble here. Um, and so they told, the, the Indians told of their leader, even in 180 AD, they told of their leader who brought this good news. You know, whole regions were converted, uh, royalty and kings were converted all the way down the caste system to the lowliest people. Indians had this, you know, really hardcore caste system, but of course, whoever brought the gospel did not believe that that had any real merit. And so they shared with the untouchables all the way up to the royalty, and people converted from each caste. And again, his name was Judas. And since there were so many Judases in that era, they went by nicknames, just like today, if you have a lot of like Johns or something, they'll often take a last name or a different name or something. Um, so they went by nicknames, so they weren't confused in groups. And this particular Judas just went by the nickname, The Twin. Uh, now, we, it's a mystery for the ages whose twin he was, um, and, but we, we don't know. But depending on what language you spoke, they, all, they called him The Twin in multiple different languages. He was always called The Twin, but just in whatever language you preferred. So in Greek, they called him Didymus, which is the common Greek word. But in Aramaic, now listen, to, this is, the, the, this is the, the gem in all of this. In Aramaic, the, the language Jesus and his disciples spoke, the word for twin was taoma. And the Greeks, not knowing what to do with that, just did their best and wrote it in Greek as Tomas. And so this is Judas Thomas. Um, and already by the year 180, there were dozens and dozens of churches on the west coast of India, fifth and sixth generation Christians, and um, all of them studied scripture in the language of Jesus himself, and they all knew without a doubt that they'd been given the gospel 130 years earlier by Judas Thomas, Judas the twin, Judas Didymus, but he's kind of remembered to history as Thomas, just Thomas, the apostle Thomas. And I just think, man, like, what a ride. The Apostle Thomas became a missionary to India, which would mean, for as lowly as his reputation is in the pages of the New Testament, that he went farther, traveled farther than all of the other disciples, including Paul. The early church had a tradition that Thomas went to India, but it wasn't until 1,500 years later that that really was able to be proven, at least in the Western world, until the Western world got over to India and saw, wow, there's tons of Christians on the west coast of India, and they all, you know, mark back to Thomas. Um, so Thomas doesn't get much credit for this because we remember him for something else, which is really the passage I just read. We call him Doubting Thomas. Uh, he gets just a few references, a few lines in all of Scripture, even though he's one of the apostles. Uh, he's kind of known as a pessimist. Uh, one line, this is, he only has three or four lines. One of them is when Lazarus is sick, and Jesus says that they should go back to Judea to, to be with him. And he's, of course, we know that he's going to heal him. And the disciples are like, are you kidding? You know, the, all the religious leaders were trying to stone you and you want to go back there? And he's, he says that, then he speaks more plainly and says, Lazarus has died, but we're going back. And then Thomas speaks up, um, says, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that me, we may die with him. And like, that's just like, that's his first line in scripture. Like, all right, well, I guess let's go die with Jesus. You know, if he's going to go there, let's just, let's do this. So he's kind of a pessimist. He's kind of, he, he certainly doesn't have that sort of uh, mystical aura of an apostle who's ready to go change the world, kind of a pessimist. Uh, but he's like us in this way. And it's too bad that we call him Doubting Thomas. I mean, he needed proof, but so did all of the other apostles. No one was willing to believe 
the account. Um, there wasn't a single apostle who, when the women came back, and they're like, hey, the tomb is empty, that the apostles were like, verily, great, he must be raised again. They're like, what? They thought it was an idle tale. They said sexist things. They ran to the tomb. They had to check it out. They had to figure out what was going on. Um, and none of them believed then, even when the tomb was empty. They didn't believe until they were visited by Jesus. So uh, these guys weren't, you know, they knew just as well as you and I that people do not raise or arise from the dead. It's preposterous until it actually happens to you. Um, but for some sad reason, Thomas, the twin, gets the label of the doubting one. Uh, he's like, you know, I want observable, I want testable proof, I want to like touch the, the wounds, um, which, you know, even though he's, he, he, we, we give him a bad rap, he reminds me the most of us. There's two lines in scripture that really remind me of modern people. One is when Pilate says to Jesus, says, what is truth? And I just feel like it's this like modern philosophical question ringing throughout the pages of 2,000 years of history. He's asking a very modern question, like, what is truth even? Um, and then this, where Thomas says, like, I got to see it for myself. I, I got I to gotta investigate this. Um, so even though he doesn't get much time in Scripture, and even though we don't really respect him much because we call him Doubting Thomas, he arguably gets the climax line, the most important line in all of John. He says, when Jesus appears before him and, and shows him the wounds, he says, my Lord and my God. And now Thomas isn't just exclaiming like, oh God, that's crazy. He's actually calling Jesus my Lord and my God. So the one God who created all things is standing before him in the person of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And notice that Jesus does not correct him. I mean, it would be crazy blasphemy if that weren't true, if Jesus doesn't see himself as God and Lord over all things, to be like, to just let that slide, he'd be like, oh, actually, no, I'm, I'm God, but let's both bow down to the Father, right? That's what people tried to worship Paul, and he had to be like, no, 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 I'm not, don't worship me, we're worshiping God together. But when, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God to Jesus, Jesus does not correct him. He knows that he is God and Lord over all. He's not just a miracle worker, he's not just a healer, not just someone who knows what everyone is thinking, but he is God over death itself, and if God had lived among us, if God had died for us and risen from the dead, and the proof is right before us, then it changes everything. So if you don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, you actually have this huge historical problem to figure out. So on the Friday and Saturday before Jesus died, his disciples were hiding out in the same upper room that they had the Last Supper. And they didn't dare say a word. I mean, they wouldn't be seen at the cross. Only John was there. All the other disciples were hiding and cowering. They were terrified. They did not know what was happening. When the women claimed that he was risen, they didn't believe them. Uh, when the disciples saw Jesus was raised, Thomas wasn't in that first batch, and he didn't believe them. So this is not a picture of people who have faith or people who are strong or people who are ready to change the world. But then something happened. And in one moment, these men turned from terrified and cowardly fishermen into these world-conquering missionaries ready to spread this message all over the world. There was one change between Saturday and Sunday which turned them from cowers into people who were ready to conquer the world. Um, all of the remaining apostles were killed except John. And they tried to kill John, they just couldn't. He was miraculously saved. But there was one moment that changed them, and it wasn't just like a spiritual high. You know how you go to like a Christian conference or something, and you're like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change things in my life. And for two weeks, like, everything's different, and then you kind of just go back to how you are. Like, these guys went from 
terrified like cowards to these world-conquering missionaries, and they never stopped. I mean, for 40 years, they kept on in that mode. So whatever happened between Saturday and Sunday was huge. Um, I want to read this to you. We'll come back to this part of the message, um, but I want to read this to you from Glenn Scrivener. Um, This is a thread that he put up, and I just thought, it's so good, I wanted to read it to you. All right, so um, he's talking about I'll I'll just read it to you. Glenn Scrivener says, People talk about fabricating the Gospels as if it were simple to invent the greatest character in literature. But imagine the writer's room. Paul, having made extraordinary claims for the dying and rising Messiah, is desperate for an origin story. He gathers the evangelists. So as you guys know, Paul actually wrote the Gospel first. He He was writing just 10, 15, 20 years after Christ died and rose again. And the Gospel accounts came out a few years after Paul was writing. So the first... Uh, written descriptions of Jesus dying and raising again were from Paul. So he's saying Paul makes this crazy, you know, awesome origin story, and then he gathers the evangelists. And he's like, okay, Galatians was a big hit. We need a prequel. I want you to narrate history's greatest life, God but also man, sinless but fully alive, pure but with profound depths, the judge of the world but with bottomless compassion, the fulfillment of Jewish hopes but with a global appeal. So these, are, these aren't like great writers in the room. These are fishermen, right? And he says, uh, he needs to be a man in time, but a man for all times. We need a sublime ethical teaching to drip from his lips, the, kinds that build, the kind that builds civilizations. We need extraordinary miracles from him, the kind that would have been noticed and could be contradicted by the generation to which you're writing. We need a believable narrative arc whereby he remains impeccably righteous, but is nonetheless condemned as a blasphemer. And we need it all to stand up to scrutiny, scriptural, theological, geographic, linguistic, and historical. It needs to be believable both near and far, now and later, for those who lived through these times and for generations hence. Go to it. Who could pull this off? There does come a point when you have to admit you couldn't make this up. And this is a huge, for, for people that reject the resurrection, they'll often just reject it and kind of stay, stay in that zone. But this is a huge huge hill for them to climb. If you reject the resurrection, you have to admit that a bunch of fishermen who were unschooled came up with these gospel stories that did all of these things, these ridiculous almost paradoxes of keeping keeping Jesus in that tension between being uh, pure but also sort of human and believable and conquering the world yet also being so relatable and all of these things. It's impossible. Like, imagine getting someone in a room and being like, all right, we're going to write the next Harry Potter. Go do it. You know, like, like, and Harry Potter, of course, pales in comparison, but just in terms of how successful of a novel it was. Like, you can't just decide to write the most successful novel of the 20th century. You definitely can't just decide to write the, the thing that changes the whole world and creates the persona of Jesus. You couldn't make it up unless it's true. So in one moment, they were transformed from doubters, cowards, hiding in fear, to leaving behind all fear and changing the world. They never wavered. It wasn't just some confused spiritual high. And that one moment carried them for 40 to 50 more years. And it carried the entire church that would grow in Jesus's name to this point. He truly did rise from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And if we pass from doubt to belief, he will do the same work in us and we will rise with him. Uh, Let me pray. And then uh, I'll have just a couple announcements after that. Lord, we thank you that, um, that you went to the grave for us, but that then you rose again. And we thank you that 
your story is so amazing. We, we, we pray that you, would, um, that you would move in people's hearts to read these gospel accounts, to read of this and, and try to figure out, is it possible that this could have been made up, that a bunch of fishermen could have gotten in a room and created the character uh, that was more interesting, more deep, uh, more profound than, um, than any character that's ever been written. Um, we thank you for rising from the dead, uh, for making yourself known to us, for us who doubt like Thomas, and we pray that you would turn our hearts just like you've turned his and give us that, that before and after, that crisis moment so that we can go out into the world changed, that we can know that you are raised from the dead, that that makes all the difference, and that we can live to share your glory with others. Uh, we, we thank you for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Shorter, shorter time today, but um, I was thinking if, if you're up for it, we could take, we could just leave our screens on or, or just leave the, the call on. If you guys want to hang out for a while, I thought it'd be cool to have just some time together in group. If you want to stick around, you know, grab a bite together, just kind of hang out like we do after church, that'd be great because we're all, I think, severely lacking with uh, on the fellowship thing should i just try throwing us into breakout rooms and see how that goes here we go who will see who you will wind up with all right all right well we're good happy easter and um yeah we'll see you next week or so or we'll, we'll figure out what we're doing for next week all right happy easter, happy easter. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com.